0: Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Cat. Have you ever met a Christian before they met too many sourpuss saints? Before they ran into the crowd that's been in church so long they forgot what it was like to be saved? You ever met a Christian that was excited about the Lord? I, I, I remember. I think I've told you this before. I remember this lady when, when uh, I, I was standing at the front in my home church when I just surrendered my heart to God and and to His Lordship, and she walked up to me and uh, bless her heart, you know, she looked like she'd been drinking vinegar and and having intravenous shots of pickle juice, and and uh, she walked up to me and she said, "It's okay, young man. You'll get over it." <laughs> I've met people that have gotten over Jesus. Now, they still come to church. They carry their Bible. They like to beat you over the head with it, by the way. But they've just gotten over it. I mean, they they look like they're sour. They look like they're bored. They just don't look very happy. I, I like to meet somebody who's still in love and enjoys Jesus. And likes to be around people who are in love and enjoy Jesus. Jesus was a friend of sinners. I don't think that that means that there's a picture of Jesus in the Bible that although Jesus hated sin, he was a friend of sinners. I don't think it means when Jesus walked up to people, they looked for rocks to hide under. They received him gladly, although he taught as one with authority. Because Jesus didn't bang them over the head with a Bible. Jesus met them at the point of their needs. In fact, he didn't have any problem breaking man-made Sabbath rules to try to touch somebody's life and to touch somebody's heart. Rather than making Jesus the friend of sinners, there are a lot of believers that make Jesus look like a sanctified snob. You know, if you don't use their translation, if you don't have their belief system, if you don't do it their way, they just don't want to fellowship with you. There's nothing of that picture in the Old Testament, except in Corinth, which was the worst church, that God ever allowed to be put on the face of the planet. Corinth was a troubled church because they got their eyes off Jesus. Galatia was a church that was about to get in trouble because they were letting the Judaizers and the legalists take over. They were beginning to influence and dominate and intimidate the church body. And so in that environment, Paul gets his rankles up and he says, hey, you know, I'm not going to put up with this. I'm not going to let you do this. I've am not. Gonna, I, I have done too much. I've shared the gospel too much. I've taught you too much. I'm not going to let you kill the essence of the gospel. And so Paul writes this letter to the Galatians to deal with them. And I know what you've been thinking as we're now in message number 16 in Galatians. You know, is he ever going to shut up about legalism? Well, it's been a problem for 2,000 years. 16 messages won't hurt you. In fact, the reason we have to keep repeating this is because it's a repeatable problem. It keeps coming up in every generation. And every one of us need to be reminded that legalism is not the way to life. It is not the way to walk in fellowship with God. And so Paul is trying to get this in our DNA to help us to understand that that it is not in legalism, but it is in the walk of love and in the way of love with the love of God that we begin to understand what it means to have fellowship with Christ. And so uh, chapter 5 and verse 1 is really the theme of chapter 5, which runs all the way through about chapter 5 and verse 25. Let me read verse 1 and then we'll drop down to verse 7. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Now, we talked about the yoke of slavery in the last message being different from the yoke that Jesus said for us to put on. Verse 7, you were running well. What hindered? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will adopt no other view but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. And here's what's happening. They're tripping people up over rules because the cross is an offense to them, and they keep stumbling over the adequacy and the sufficiency of the cross. So he says in verse 12, I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Now there's a sweet little Southern Baptist preacher. (laughs) I wish all these guys causing problem in a church would just go mutilate themselves. Don't ever think that God doesn't allow some holy indignation, but just make sure it's holy indignation in the flesh is no better than anything else. Make sure it's holy indignation that you're righteously upset about the right things. Paul was. And so he's dealing with this thing and this issue of staying free. How do we stay free in our relation? We've been set free by Christ in our salvation, but how do we stay free? How do we live free? How do we act like we've been free? And and the hardest thing is, as we've looked in Galatians, is legalism. There are two extremes, really, that Paul is going to deal with now. He's going to deal with, on one side, legalism, circumcision, rule keeping. On the other side, license. One says, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. you got to live by these rules to either help God in your salvation or to make you be more spiritual. This other side says, I don't have to keep any rules. I'm under grace. I can do whatever I want to do. And that's not a balanced view of the Bible, nor is an accurate interpretation of Scripture. One is wildfire, the other one's no fire. And Both of them cause trouble in the church. Some folks want to put people in a box. And in reality, that box is a coffin. All right, let's look at the way that leads to bondage. Two kinds of bondage. Number one, legalism. Legalism. Paul is dealing with these people who are preaching circumcision. They're operating out of the law and not out of love. Now, there's four things that he says about them. First of all, verse 7, they hinder. Legalists hinder people from their pursuit of God. Secondly, they persuade They're not convinced to just be rule keepers themselves. In fact, the more rule keepers they can get on their side, the more they feel like they're right. So they're constantly not trying to persuade people to come to Christ. They're trying to persuade people to come to legalism, to come to rules. And they're working inside the church trying to make people more legalistic, more rule keeping like them. Thirdly, they disturb, verse 10. They disturb, verse 10. They'll, they'll tear up a church, which leads to the fourth one, they cause trouble. They cause trouble. They disturb and they cause trouble. You'll never see a church full of legalists that's happy and unified because they cannot even agree on which rules you need to keep. And so they'll begin to fight among one another. Paul says, They've hindered you. Look at that word, hindered. That word hindered means that for it's two ways. It's one is it's an athletic term about someone that is getting you to run out of your lane that's taken you off the track and off the path that God has put you on and wants you to run in their lane, wants you to run in another lane other than the one that has been assigned to you. The other way it means is a military term where someone has gone in and cut up a road to impede the progress of an oncoming army. And so he says, you are running fine. You are making progress. And all of a sudden, you get tripped up. You get diverted. You get sidetracked. You're running an obstacle course. You've fallen in a ditch. You've taken a detour. What happened to you? How did you get hindered like this? And and Paul says, this is inexcusable that you've let this happen to you. And look at what he says. This persuasion, verse 8, didn't come from Jesus. When you get on a detour, God didn't put you on that detour. When you get on a path of legalism or when you get on a path that says, I can do whatever I want to do and I don't have to answer to anybody for it. God didn't put you on that path. Now here's what the legalists do. The legalist, I, I remember growing up with and going to my grandfather's farm and every now and then, uh, he would let me help him take the cattle out of the field and take them through the dipping vat. Any of you ever do that? And so you'd take them, and you'd just kind of get a little stick, and there'd be this dipping vat, and he'd go take those cattle through, and they'd dip, and they'd they'd come out on the other side. Not dip like that. They'd dip, they dip, okay? So you'd take them in, and they'd go through a dipping vat. Here's what legalists do. They want to line up every Christian, and they want to take them through a law-keeping dipping vat and make them rule keepers when they come out on the other side. And they're constantly trying to drive people to a dipping vat to say, when you get dipped in my laws and in my rules, then you're a good Christian. Notice, it'll always be my laws and my rules. There will be things that they impose on Scripture that they cannot back up with Scripture as anything that God demands of us other than obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I love this quote by Chet Pike, who used to be the... uh, vice president of Scripps Howard, he said, an outsider can come to believe that preachers and church leaders are in an intentional conspiracy against fun. You ever been in one of those churches? If anything exciting's happening here, we need to stop it. <laughs> Don't smile. We only do that on fifth Sunday fellowships. I mean, you, you just look at them and you just think, dear Lord, strike them with something you know, just give them something, but let them lighten up. I mean, they just, they have no joy. And there are a lot of churches like that. You go in, there's no joy. They're somber. They're sour. They think reverence means boredom. And you can be reverent for God, but it's not boring. We're going to be reverent before God in heaven, and it's not going to be boring. So don't interpret reverence as God doesn't want me to enjoy life. He came to give us life and to give it more abundantly, but not according to the legalist. You can't have abundant life if you're a legalist. You don't have time to have fun. And so Paul is dealing with this. And the first bondage is legalism. The second one is license. And these are people who swing the pendulum too far. I remember when I went through Galatians in 1990 and we had people that were really some people in bondage and in legalism. And they were over here and, you know, after I'd been in Galatians for a while, they said, hey, I'm free from the law. And some of them just went hog wild. Honest to goodness. I mean, some of them that were rule keepers and there were people that saying, you know, you don't preach out of King James Schofield and you don't do this and you don't do that. And the minute they found out that the law wasn't it, some of them started running around on their wives Now, boy, that's a big jump. I mean, you got to make it. You got to make a leap to go from here to there. But they did. And Paul says, this is what's happening to you. I'm trying to get you freed from the law and free from legalism and free from this yoke of slavery. By the way, that doesn't mean you can go act like you want to act. That doesn't mean that grace allows you to sin like you want to sin because God's going to forgive you anyway. You don't be presumptuous about that. Verse 13, he says, For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now look at what's happening in verse 15. If you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. Do you know why God gives a church a shepherd? Do you know why God needs strong leaders in churches? i tell you why. Because people will bite and devour and consume one another. If there's not a strong leader that says, this is the kind of church we're going to be, we are going to have unity. We're not going to all agree on everything, but we're all going to come under one roof, under lordship, and we're going to come under some system of authority. If we don't have that, we have chaos. If you want to know what a what an organization is without a strong leader, I invite you to attend the United States Congress. Because all it is is about politics. By the way, there are tens of thousands of churches that that's all it's about. And I'm not talking about political politics. I'm talking about religious politics inside the walls of the church. And the reason churches need strong leaders and the reason pastors need to have backbones and the reason they need to have gumption is because there's always somebody that's trying to rise up from somewhere to say, I think this church ought to be done this way. And I think this church ought to be done this way. My little group thinks it ought to be this way. And this little group thinks we ought to do this. And this little group over here thinks we shouldn't do that. And the pastor needs to say, we're not going to have any of that. If you're going to worship here, this is the way it's going to be. That's not dictatorial. That's leadership. That's somebody saying, this is the kind of church that we're going to be. And if you want to have your own agenda, go start your own church. You know, you can be a church of one and you can meditate on your navel. And try to. Fee- and then do you know what will happen? You'll start not even agreeing with yourself. And then you'll get mad at yourself and try to divorce yourself. Because you won't be happy. Because a person with an agenda other than lordship is never happy. We're only happy when we're surrendered. Two things. They were acting like wild animals. They were acting like wild animals. By the way, some of the meanest people I've ever met are inside the local church. You ever found that to be true? I mean, my first full-time church, I, I thought all the demons of hell had moved in. I mean, they were some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life. And can I also tell you? some of the dumbest people I've ever met are inside the church because they sit around and let people do that. Well, I don't know. You know, they're, you know, they're, they're pretty strong. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I just, I don't know. And then they're dumb because they do things like this. Well, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. But between now and the time I get to heaven, I'm going to live any way I want to live. And no preacher, no Sunday school teacher, no deacon can tell me what to do. Folks, that's why most of you don't know it, but we exercise church discipline in this church. We've dismissed several people through the years for membership. We may be on a path with a couple of people right now because they won't repent and they won't come under the authority of the church and they're living lifestyles that are ungodly and unholy because you cannot say, I'm a member of Sherwood Baptist Church and then go out and shame the name of Jesus Christ with your lifestyle. If you want to do that, go somewhere else. I am committed that when people hear the word Sherwood, it is a word that has integrity, not a question mark. It's an exclamation point. We're not perfect. We won't be perfect. We will make mistakes. We will all do dumb things. But sinning willfully is not an option for the believer who is walking in lordship. So there's a warning regarding legalism. This persuasion didn't come from him who calls you. God's not the one that puts you on this detour. You, you see what these legalists do. They, they want to confine you, and then they make these points that they want you to live up to, and those points become points of pride, and they become a committee of one to tell you whether you're cutting the mustard or not. i give you a great example. I hadn't even thought about this person in years, and Terry... Uh, mentioned it Friday where we I was doing signing some of the books in advance and, and Terry mentioned it. We, we had this guy in a, in a former church and you know, he got saved and he fell in love with Jesus. And then he met a bunch of rule keepers. And I mean, some serious rule keepers. And so he started putting his little rules up. He was a lawyer. He was also a judge. And so rules and laws were easy in his fleshly DNA to go by. And so he came by to see me one day, and he's just telling me all these things, you know, that his family wasn't going to do. We're not going to do this, and we're not going to do that. We're not, my kids are not going to read any secular books, and we're not going to watch any television. We're not going to go to any movies, all this kind of stuff. And I said, you know, man, sounds like your kids are going to be bored stiff. And he just kind of looked at me and thought I was unspiritual, and I probably was, but I was right at the moment. And so, anyway, he shows up about two, or three months later, and he says, well... He said, God's led me to sell my lawnmower. I said, really? Yes. Yeah. God wants me to divest myself of material possessions. And I'm selling my lawnmower. Now, every Saturday, he went next door and borrowed his neighbor's lawnmower. He wasn't so spiritual that he couldn't take the neighbor's lawnmower. And so I talked to the neighbor. He never one time bought a gallon of gas to put in the lawnmower that he was borrowing because he was too spiritual to have material things. And God forbid that he would buy a gallon of gas from something he borrowed from somebody to use in his yard to make his yard look good because he was so spiritual that he didn't have a lawnmower. Can I just tell you what the Greek word for that is? That's stupid. (laughs) And he was as serious as he could be. So guess what he did? He said, oh, it's nothing that not understand. I'm not saying anything against homeschooling, okay? He said, now i got to get my kids out of school, and i got to homeschool. And then, within a year, he said, you know, we're going to home church because we're just, we're just not seeing what we need to see in this church, and we're going to home church. And guess what? He has church with his kids. Wow, Dad, that's exciting. Can we go out and play? No. Can we have fun? No. Can we laugh? It's not Christmas yet. Now, you sit there and you think, that's crazy. Nobody acts like that. There are all kinds of people who act like that. They need help. We may should put them on drugs. They certainly need counseling. Because they don't understand that they've been set free from the law of sin and death, and they've been set free to live by the law of love doesn't mean you abuse it, but it doesn't mean you add to it either. And so Paul is dealing with this, uh, these attitudes that are leading, leading to these actions. And, and let me just give you a, a summary statement on this. If you're not motivated by grace, no other motivation is good enough. If you're not motivated by the grace of God to do the right things in the right way at the right time, then no other motivation is going to be good enough. You won't live up to that. You'll find a way to cut corners. Now, Paul says that, that, that they have been running, but they've been hindered. And he uses this athletic illustration. It's a military illustration. It's an athletic illustration. By the way, Paul never uses an athletic illustration in regards to salvation. Paul always, when he's using an athletic illustration of running or boxing or fighting or whatever it is, when Paul is using those, he's dealing with the process of our sanctification. And Paul says, You were running, how did you get off track? Now, Paul changes his illustration. Paul uses a Paula Dean illustration. Being from the south, he would have done that. Verse 9 A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Now, in the Bible, leaven and yeast is typically symbolic of evil. And what does leaven do? Leaven makes the bread rise. Now here in Galatians, he's talking about the leaven of works and the leaven of the law. In 1 Corinthians 5, 6, he says, your boasting is no good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? He's talking about the leaven of immorality. So the leaven can be in two forms. Evil can be in two forms. One is trying to work out your salvation by helping God out in your salvation, by aiding God, by doing things. The other is by immorality. It goes back to legalism and license. And so here's what happens. Paul says that this leaven gets in and it starts as a little thing, but left unchecked, it rises and it grows and it dominates, and it overtakes. Now, here's the principle that you need to understand. If you mix a little law with grace, you will ultimately end up with a lot of law and a little grace. And you may possibly end up with all law and no grace, which is why we have the epistles to remind us that we are not saved nor are we kept by keeping the law, but by responding to the grace of God given to us in Christ Jesus. And so these legalists use their standards and they set up their, themselves as this committee and they begin to judge and it's just, a, it's just a way to have a fight. Can I tell you what most legalists say? Here's how you can spot them. You know how you always say, you know, you look familiar. Oh, it must have been my picture at the post office. Here's how you can spot a legalist. They always look down on you because you are never good enough for them. And their standard of measurement and of righteousness is themselves, not Christ. How you measure up to them Is how they judge you. And that's not the biblical way to look at people. Now, can I tell you something? Most people in churches in America today feel like failures. Some of you came in this room today and you feel like a failure. You feel like you can't measure up. You feel like you can't meet the demands of God. You feel like you, you can't do this and you can't do that. Or you're struggling. You're kind of living in Romans six and seven. You hadn't gotten to Romans eight yet. You you're just battling and you're just frustrated and you don't know what to do and you don't know how to live and you don't know how to make all the pieces work and and you, you're trying to the puzzle just seems jumbled up and and you feel like a failure. You feel weak. You feel embarrassed. You're wondering if anybody's going to know that you're not as consistent as the face you try to paint on Sunday morning to make you look more consistent than you really are. Can I tell you why you came into church today feeling like a failure? Because you're trying to impress somebody and live up to somebody else's standards. You're not trying to live up to God's standards. You're trying to please somebody else. Listen, God knows you're a mess. And he loves you anyway. God knows you're a mess. God knows you've blown it. God knows everything you did this past week that was bad, evil, dumb. You weren't thinking what you said, what you thought, what you did. God knows it all. But you didn't see God standing at the door of the church saying, I condemn you. You see a cross that says, I love you, bring it to the foot of the cross. God does not hold us at arm's length trying to keep us away. God stretched out his arms so that we would know that his arms were big enough to get around us. And so when you blow it and when you fail, quit worrying about what the people sitting next to you or on the other side of the room think about you. Start thinking about what do I need to do to be back in right relationship with God? Because he's the number one person you've got to please. You can please me and not please God. You can please this staff and not please God. You can please everybody in your Sunday school class and not please God. But if you please God, I promise you, the people that matter, they'll be pleased. And by the way, you're feeling like a failure, and you think the person next to you has got it all together, and they're feeling like a failure. So if we just all admit that there are times when we walk in this room and we feel like failures and we feel like we've blown it and we're embarrassed to be here, if we'd ever get over ourselves and over our self-image and, in fact, over our self-righteousness that says we have a right to think anybody ought to think anything of us other than we're unworthy of the gospel of grace, we can enjoy church a lot more. There's nothing in me worth liking. There's nothing in me worth saving, except that God wanted to save me. In, in fact, living to please others is just another form of self-righteousness. And you and I are never going to walk in fullness until we understand that we don't live to please others. So that when you walked in this room, when you walk out, one of two things happened. You're going to walk out of here and you're going to continue down a frustrating road of trying to please other people. That road has potholes everywhere. Or you're going to live in Christ. You're either going to live to try to please other people or you're going to live in Christ. You're going to focus your attention on Him because what you focus on, you give your life to. Now, can I tell you, you can trust the Holy Spirit to lead you To do the right thing at the right time, in the right way, and with the right motive. Well, I don't know. What if I get out here? Trust the Holy Spirit of God inside of you to lead you to do the right thing in the right way, at the right time, with the right motivation. Now listen, folks if God is big enough to convict us of sin and if God is big enough to redeem us from sin then God is also big enough to walk with us to give us victory over sin. Don't compartmentalize him. Oh Lord I thank you for the grace that saved me but now Lord I'm gonna work real hard so that I can I can live up to what you did in me. That's That's works oriented. Lord, I want to respond to grace that has been given me. I'm not worthy of the life that you've given me. I'm not worthy of the opportunities that you've given me. But because of Christ and for his glory, I want to live. Roy Gustafson said, The Holy Spirit never gathers to a denomination. He never gathers to an ordinance. He never gathers to a doctrine. He never gathers to a ritual the holy spirit of god always gathers to the person of christ now this is in the book prepare for rain but i want to i want to close with it there are three people in your seat right now number 1 is the person you used to be i mean you can't quit being who you used to whoever you were before you got saved that's the person you used to be and that person's still you somewhere in you That's the person you used to be. A sinner, lost, in bondage, frustrated, defeated. That person still kind of crops up every now and then, doesn't he? There's a second person sitting in your seat right now, and that's the person you are right now. And the person you are right now is either walking in the joy of fellowship with Jesus or you're not. I'm not talking about your past. Oh, you know, I had a bad past. I, you know, I did some terrible things in my past. I'm talking about right now. The person you are right now, sitting in your seat right now, is either enjoying their relationship with Christ or they're not. So the question is are you enjoying your relationship with Christ? Or are you gritting your teeth and trying harder and trying to turn over new leaves and re-dedicating uh, your life over and over and over again but never seeming to get it right? Are you at peace with God and at peace with yourself right now? I'm not saying are you perfect. I'm asking you, are you enjoying fellowship on an ongoing basis with God right now? Not at the last Refresh Conference. Not at the last youth camp. Not at the last disciple now. Right now. Current. Fresh in your obedience. Fresh in your walk. On target with where God wants you to be. Not detoured off the lane. Right now you're walking where God wants you to walk. And then the last person is a person you could be. If you're not right now fresh in your walk with God and obedient and your obedience is up to date and you're walking, dying daily to yourself and taking up the cross daily, then there's the person that you could be if you just let Christ dominate you and quit letting your flesh, your feelings, or other people dominate you. Let me give you a picture here. You remember when Abraham offered up Isaac? You remember that story? Genesis 22. And they go up, and Isaac says, Father, where's the ram? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. Okay. They get up there, and Abraham says to Isaac... I want you to lay down on the altar. And as Isaac lays there, he is not bound by cords to that altar. Even as he sees the knife of the hand of his father raised up to slay him, what binds Isaac to that altar is his love and his trust of his father and even with a knife headed toward him before God intervenes the cord of love is what keeps Isaac from crawling off the altar you know what our problem is we come down here and we lay our lives on the altar and then we keep getting off take our eyes off the ball. We take our eyes off the cross. We get our focus off of God. We may die today, but tomorrow we're going to do it our way. Folks, the only thing that will keep you in step with Jesus is when the cords that bind you are the cords that you allow to be put on you because you love and trust what the Father is doing in your life and you willingly die to yourself and to others' opinions because your only goal at the altar is to please the Father. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Katz. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.